Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, hopefully you have a, a device or your Bible there that you can try to follow along. I want to, I'm going to read several verses as we begin, and we'll be reading a number of other verses as we go along here uh, this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to start reading with verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 4. Paul says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. I, I, I don't mean to be unkind or offensive to anyone, but uh, we, we've seen over the last uh, eight or nine months now what the wisdom of the world can do. Uh, we, we've been given a lot of kind of uh, odd advice at times. Um, <laughs> odd guidance at times based on the wisdom um, of, of this world. And it's kind of amazing how we can esteem the wisdom of this world above the wisdom of God um, when, when the wisdom of this world is, is so unreliable. Um, and yet the wisdom of God is based on eternal principles. Verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then verse number 14, and all of that was kind of the context to get to this verse. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Amplified, verse 14, says it this way, but the natural 
non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. For they are folly, meaningless nonsense to him. And he is incapable of knowing them, of progressively recognizing, understanding, and becoming better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It, it really continues. I've born and raised in church. I've been, I've been preaching for over 30 years now, ministry involvement and, and uh, various roles. And, and in addition to that, just my own personal relationship with God, my own personal walk with God. And, and it's, it, it, it continues to amaze me the, the wisdom and the knowledge contained in the Word of God. That whatever, whatever the struggle, whatever the conflict, there is an answer in the Word of God. There is nothing that you and I deal with. There's nothing that you and I face that we cannot find something in the Word of God that applies to those circumstances and situations. No, not every single thing we find is necessarily what we want to hear. I guess that, that's kind of one of the marks of, of good parenting is not just telling your kids what they want to hear, but, but telling them what they need to hear, telling them no sometimes. Um, and, and, and so I'm not saying that every answer contained in Scripture is the answer that our flesh wants to hear, but the answer is there. There is no conflict. There is, there, there is no, uh, there's no mental conflict that you and I face that we cannot find an answer, guidance, direction in Scripture on how to deal with it. And one of the challenges that I believe we, we face, and, and I, think, I think I could say that in some ways it has been intensified over the last several years because of, uh, especially because of the increase of technology and the role that technology plays uh, in our world. And um, I, I guess I will say uh, even especially narrowing it down a little bit more to, to social media. Um, we, you know, I guess for, for, for hundreds and even thousands of years, uh, the, the external voices in our lives was, was, uh, was a lot more controlled because, um, pre-technology especially, it was, it was, ver it was strictly verbal or written communication. And, and, and so when it's live verbal communication, there, there's, uh, there's only so many um, people that we're around at once, usually on a, 
you know, a typical daily basis, we're, we're not in a multitude, a crowd. And, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of times we have some degree of control, especially when we're at home. Uh, we have a degree of control over, over those that are present and those that are there who can speak into our lives. Um, and, and, and then I realize you can read and people have been reading for hundreds of years and books. And, uh, but, but now we are, we are bombarded uh, by, by uh, so many voices, whether, whether that is written or verbal, from video, from, from broadcasting. Um, and, and, and if we're not careful... We can get caught up in all of these voices, and most of these voices conflict with the voice of God. And by the voice of God, I mean both uh, uh, Rhema and Logos. So, so a, a fresh utterance from God, a fresh word from God spoken to us, or what we read in the Word of God. There is so much conflict and if we're not careful, we can allow the wisdom of men to cause us to question the wisdom of God. We can allow the voices of, of this world to cause us to question the voice of God. And, and, and so again, Paul says that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus, in, in, in uh, one of those notable passages, especially with regard to the new birth, Jesus, I think, makes some, uh, a similar point as to what Paul is making here, and that's in John 3. Start reading with verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If a man is not born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time? into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I, th I, I think subconsciously we, we focus more on that second statement, that unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But the first thing Jesus said to Nicodemus was, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God. Not just you can't enter into the kingdom, but unless you are born again, you can't even see it. 
The word see there, according to Thayer's, means to know, to find. It means to look at, to behold, to experience, to know, to get knowledge of, to understand, to perceive. Unless you are born again, you cannot even understand. You cannot perceive. You cannot get the full true knowledge of the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so when we connect that to what Paul says, the things of the kingdom, they, they, they don't make sense to the natural man. They, 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 don't, they don't resonate with human knowledge. Now, I, I, on one hand, I personally am, am, am of the opinion that there's a lot of things in Scripture that, that you could say they do make sense to a degree. But to truly comprehend them and understand them and live by them, you've got to be born again. You, you, you've got to... You, you've got to uh, you've got to go beyond living life as a just a natural man because until you receive the spirit of God then you can't fully receive what it is God has for you you can't fully experience what God wants to give us unless we are born again we are unable to to see and to enter. I, I, I've tried uh, many times, but once again today as I have prepared for this morning, I've, I've, I've tried to wrap my, my uh, brain around sort of this idea of seeing and, and entering the kingdom. Uh, as, as most of you know that have been a part of my ministry for any length of time, I, 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 like, I like object lessons. I, I, like, I like to... Uh, like analogies, because they help bring to us um, a, a better understanding. And as I've said many times, God is the originator of the object lesson, the analogy. He he filled His Word. <laughs> he gave us nature. He gave us creation as a as a living object lesson to help us understand spiritual principles. And so I. I, I really tried to come up with, with a, an analogy of, of trying to uh, distinguish or differentiate between this idea of seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom because uh, what does it mean when Jesus says you can't even see the kingdom then how are we how are we how are we saved how, how do we even have a chance of being saved because we got to get born again to even see the kingdom and and uh, there, there's a couple of different things that have come to mind and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that these uh, are, are the best analogies but maybe maybe if I could get it across like this because there, there's got to be some place that we start if I if I can't even see the kingdom but I got to see the kingdom, I got to enter the kingdom, then, then there has to be some kind of starting point. And I, uh, I, I, one of the ways I, I think I, I, I uh, have thought of it maybe is in this context, and um, I guess the name kind of uh, fits since we're talking about a kingdom, but I, I, I was thinking, I guess, in the context of, uh, of, of King's Dominion, <laughs> you, you pull in 
to the parking lot and from the parking lot uh, depending where you are you can you can see some of the things that are inside the park you can King's Dominion you can see the uh, replica of the Eiffel Tower and uh, I think if I'm not mistaken there's some spots from the parking lot where you can see even the tops of some other rides and so you you know something is there but you really are not getting the full glimpse of it from the parking lot so to truly see what is there you've you've got to enter the gate you've got to come through the uh the the turnstile you've got to pay a price to get inside um and and then once you get inside you now can begin to see what you only had a, a, a basic glimpse of from the outside and, and really kind of like, uh, I, I guess, I guess this, this, I think this does work as an analogy. Uh, you, you can see again from that parking lot. I, I know I've been to other places. Hershey Park is another one where again from the parking lot, there's some spots where you can see uh, glimpses of some of the rides, but but you are not getting the full picture, the full glimpse uh, of that ride. You may see the top of a loop of a roller coaster, but you, from, from the parking lot, you are not seeing. You know something's there. You, you know there's more there than what you see. But again, to, to fully experience it, you've got to go inside the park. And then, of course, there's a whole other step beyond that, and, and I think that's in, in, in some ways what Jesus was also saying to Nicodemus. It's, it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to enter. It's another thing to enter into it experientially. It's, it's one thing to see what is available. It's one thing to see uh, what, what has been provided for you, what, what the, the potential of what you can do. It's a whole different thing when you, have, when you experience it, when you enter into it. It's one thing to sit and look at the, 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 the track of the roller coaster. It's a whole other thing to sit in the seat and, and enter into the experience. But unless you are born again, you cannot fully see. You, you cannot fully experience. I, I guess a, a, another analogy that sort of has come to mind uh, with, with, with these verses, it's kind of like um, sitting down in the classroom for uh, some kind of a, of a, of a uh, subject. I don't know, physics, chemistry. Um, you, you can sit down in that classroom and 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 the professor can begin to say some things to you and 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 there may be sort of an initial uh, understanding or grasping of the concepts but if if your knowledge of that subject is is limited it, it really only means so much it it really only is conveying so much if if your understanding of that topic is li is limited but as you as you enter in, as you begin to be taught more and explained more, your your understanding begins to increase, and 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 you know it's 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 one thing to even sort of sit in a in a classroom and think you understand what is being told you. It's another thing when you can stand up and then articulate from your own words, your own understanding, and so we. 
we obviously have to have some kind of a glimpse to even be able to enter into the kingdom. How would we even know there's something there? But, but Jesus was telling Nicodemus to truly see and experience, you've got to be born again. And so again, going back to what Paul says, for all of this, uh, I guess if I could say it this way, for all of this God stuff, for all of this Word of God stuff to make sense to us. You've got to be in the kingdom. And, and, and so I guess part of, my, uh, part of the burden here today is to, is to challenge you to not let someone who's not in the kingdom cause you to question and doubt the wisdom that is in the kingdom. I, I shouldn't let someone who thinks that the things of God are foolishness, I should not let that person who is speaking from the outside affect my faith now that I have entered in to the kingdom. With regards to this, this idea of, of Paul says that, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. Barnes Notes says this, it does not embrace or comprehend them. That is, he rejects them as folly. He does not perceive their beauty or their wisdom. He despises them. He loves other things better. A man of intemperance does not receive or love the arguments for temperance. A man of licentiousness, the arguments for chastity. A liar, the arguments for truth. So a sensual or worldly man does not receive or love the arguments for religion. A, a sensual or worldly man does not receive or love the arguments about a life being submitted and surrendered to the will of God, to the plan of God, to the word of God. You and I are, are the minority. And I don't mean that you and I, that the ones watching this, this live stream this morning are the only ones, but I mean those like us. Even all over the world, we are, we are the minority. I, even amongst believers... Even amongst professed Christians, there, there is a minority of those that are truly striving to completely submit and surrender their will, their lives to the Word of God, to, the, to being governed by the Spirit of God. And so if we're not careful... We can, we can give the enemy an opportunity to undermine our faith and our confidence in the Word of God because somebody who does not understand it, somebody who doesn't even have the ability to comprehend it, is, is, is questioning it, is doubting it, is trying to get us to question and doubt it. To the unsaved, to the one who has not entered in to the kingdom of God, the things of God, the things of the Spirit are foolishness unto him.
They're foolishness. They're, they're, they're ridiculous. They make no sense. Why would you do that? Why would you believe that? Why, why would you live your life according to that? That Paul says this in, in Romans 8. It, it's not just, it's not just that, well, it's a different way of thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a different mindset. It's a, it's a different perspective. Saved versus unsaved. You, you, you just li listen to what Paul says. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And, and, and here it is, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is the enemy of God. It is the enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Those that are not born again cannot see, cannot enter, cannot experience. The Amplified says it this way, verse 6, Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever. That is, because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, is hostile to God. For it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not just that it doesn't, it can't. So then those who are living the life of the flesh, catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. The carnal natural mind is not just another mind. You, you got the spiritual mind, you got the natural mind. Paul says that, that the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It is in enmity against God. It is hostile towards God. It is in a conflict. It is in a battle with God. So again... What a, what a sad and, and, I guess, dangerous thing it is when those that are supposed to be spiritually minded are allowing their faith and confidence and trust in God to be influenced by those that are the enemy of God. Those that have no ability. Paul says... That it, it's, it's foolishness. They cannot. They, they, they just cannot ex understand. They, they cannot grasp these spiritual things. So we allow our minds to be bombarded, infiltrated 
by those who are the enemies of God, allowing them to undermine our faith and our confidence in God, allowing those that have never seen nor entered the kingdom to influence the way that I think and feel, the way that I perceive things. The natural man cannot. So we, we sit sometimes and we hear the things the natural man says and then, and then we start questioning and doubting the things that have been revealed to us by the Spirit because someone who does not have the ability to even understand is causing those of us who have actually experienced the things of God. We, we, we let our faith be undermined by someone that's not even entered the kingdom. They can't even see, they can't even understand, they can't even comprehend what you and I have now come to know and, and live. Let, let, let me, Paul in Romans 1, I think, kind of uh, says something that, that, that kind of even further expresses this, this struggle and, and this, this challenge between the carnal mind and the, and the spiritual mind. Romans 1, verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. What are those things which are not convenient? He, he, or, or let me read actually verse 28 before we get to those things. Verse 28, the Amplified says it this way, And so, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or approve of Him or consider Him worth the knowing, God gave them over to a base and condemned mind to do things not proper or decent but loathsome. New Living Translation says, verse 28, this way, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He, God, abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. What are the things that should never be done? Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, mal maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They don't just do those things. They enjoy, they take pleasure in those that do them. How, how did we, how did we get as a world, or let's, let's narrow it down as a nation, a nation that was founded upon godly or on a trust and a faith in God. And I, I acknowledge that what, you know, what the founding father's faith in God, it may not have been uh, may not have fit the apostolic faith, but there was a there was a trust in God, there was a belief in God, there was a belief in the Word of God to to some degree or other. And our money still says, "In God 
we trust, not in a God, in God, meaning the God, meaning the God of, of Scripture. In God we trust. And now we, we, are in a, we are in a nation that so many things that society, not, not religion, not Christianity, but so many things that society viewed as being unacceptable, as being immoral, we now have embraced, and not only have we embraced, we now endorse them. How did we get there? How did we get here? How did we reach this point? How did we reach this point where, where, where again, we not only do these things as, a, as now as a society, but we celebrate, we reward those that do those things. Paul tells us how we got there. We didn't want to retain God in our knowledge. The natural man was the enemy of God. And so you can reach the point where God's response is, okay, you don't want to retain me in your knowledge. You, you don't want me in your minds. You, you don't want my word and my spirit dealing with you. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop bothering you. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to direct you. I'm going to stop trying to con, convict you. But it's not that I'm just going to stop. I'm, I'm going to give you over to freely doing those things that I've tried to keep you from doing. I'm going to turn off the voice of, of conviction so that not only will you do them, but you, will, you won't feel any, any guilt for doing them. You, you don't, you don't, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the bank robber didn't just start by robbing banks. There, there was, there was probably, uh, some candy bars that were stolen. There were, there were probably some other items that were stolen first to, to sort of create the confidence that, you know what, I, I can do the big job. I can pull off the big, uh, the big heist. I, I, because each time you you succeed, there is a growing level of confidence. Well, if I can do this, then I can do the next thing. And 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 it's it's kind of that way with with uh, with sin. We we violate the word of God and and we feel guilt, we feel condemnation. Hopefully, we hear conviction, because conviction provides us hope. Condemnation gives us no hope. Condemnation just tells us that not only have we done wrong, have we done bad, but we are bad. Conviction deals with the the what we've done, but it gives us hope for our future. So hopefully. We're hearing the voice of conviction. But every single time I willfully choose to ignore the voice of God, the voice of the conscience, the voice of conviction, every time I do that, 
I, I, I turned down the volume of that voice. You see, I, I think there are those who were raised in church that now do not live for God. They've, they've given up their relationship with God, walk with God. Some who still maintain, profess some level of faith in God. Others that completely have rejected God altogether. And I think there is this mindset that, you know, uh, I was brainwashed. And I used to feel bad for doing certain things, but that's just because I was brainwashed by religion. I was brainwashed by Christianity. Because now I feel no regret. I feel no remorse. No, no, I'm very sorry to tell you it's not that you were brainwashed and now you've somehow been you know, deprogrammed and reprogrammed. What it is, is what Paul says. You, you reach the point that you, you convinced God, I don't want to retain you in my knowledge. I don't, God, I don't want you. I don't want your word. I, I don't want the principles of your word bothering me anymore. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do freely without the condemnation and the conviction. And, and what an absolutely scary place it is where God not only stops trying to talk to you, but then he turns you over, gives you up to a reprobate mind so that you can do those things which are not convenient, those things which are not right. So that's how we got here. That's how we're going to end up getting to wherever it else, wherever it else, wherever else society is still going. Because God has said, "Okay, have it your way." You don't want conviction. You, you don't want my word and my spirit governing and guiding your life, leading you in a path of righteousness, leading you in a path that leads to life, eternal life. You don't want that, then, then I'm going to give you what you want. The problem is you don't really know what you're getting. <laughs> you think you know what you want, but you don't really know what the full consequences, the outcome of that is. And so now we've got all these things that Paul lists here, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness. We've got all these things that have now become, again, not only an accepted part of our lives, but a celebrated part of our lives. It's now, we now celebrate alternative lifestyles. We have a whole month to celebrate alternative lifestyles. We have... Days of pride to celebrate alternative lifestyles. We celebrate politicians who endorse things that are contrary to the Word of God. We give out awards to those that do the best job at promoting things that are contrary to the Word of God. How did we get here? Because people didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And, 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 and where did that come from? Well, I think some of that came from the fact we let those who had no ability to comprehend and understand spiritual things convince us that spiritual things are foolishness. When we've seen differently, just because I'm born again, 
Just because I'm born again doesn't mean it is absolutely a, a, a given that my faith in God, my walk with God, my relationship with God is going to remain. I've got to pursue it. I've got to hunger for it. I've, I've, got to, I've got to pursue God. I've got to seek after Him. I've got to work on a, on a, on a regular basis to not let the, the ideas of, 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 of this present world to impact my faith and my confidence in God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. But watch this. Christ crucified unto the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. Unto the Jews, it's a, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. The Amplified says that verse this way. We preach Christ the Messiah crucified. Preaching which to the Jews is a scandal and an offensive stumbling block that springs a snare or trap. And to the Gentiles, it is absurd and utterly unphilosophical nonsense. It is absurd and utterly unphilosophical nonsense. Paul says, we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. Here's what we preach. Here is the thing that we preach. But, but to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the, to the unspiritual, to those that have yet to be born again. That's what Paul really is basically talking about there in verse 23. Watch this. To the Jews stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks. So, so out of this group of Jews to which he is a stumbling block, and out of this group of Gentiles to which all of this is foolishness, there is another group that has come out of that group, both Jews and Greeks. To this group, it is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those who aren't called, it's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Those verses, the rest of those verses in the Amplified this way, but to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek, Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the, to the Gentiles, it is absurd, utterly unphilosophical nonsense. But to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek, Gentile, Christ 
is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is because the foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than men. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than men. The foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than men, and the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Take take the the height of man's wisdom. Take the absolute peak of man's wisdom and God's foolishness is greater than that. If God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom, where does that put God's wisdom in comparison to man's wisdom? <laughs> if, if, if God's foolishness, the lowest level, if you will, is higher than man's wisdom, where is God's wisdom compared to whatever wisdom man may have accumulated? The weakness of God. The weakness of God is stronger than men. The, the foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. I, I, I know we have our varying opinions on on this uh, pandemic we're in. I know we have our varying opinions on COVID-19 and, and uh, um, uh, what, it, what it is and what it isn't. And, uh, you know, some kind of the extreme is it's completely a farce. It's a man-made idea. We're all sort of, I guess, being just psychologically manipulated into something um, and, and then whatever the other end of that is. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, not that I didn't think there was uh, actual sickness going around. I, I didn't think every report was made up, but I, I can tell you after the last week that uh, I, I've had some experience. I haven't been tested. I don't plan to get tested. Um, based on Nathaniel's test results and his symptoms, I think I probably have had COVID. Um, I've got my own reasons, which I won't get into right now, as to why I haven't been tested and don't plan to get tested. Um, and no, it's not just about the discomfort that everybody talks about of having your brain tickled, apparently, by... Um, something being shoved up your nose. But nevertheless, uh, I, I had a real fever last week. 
I had real aches and I had real pain. I, I had real discomfort. I, uh, quite honestly, I feel like I'm still dealing with a few things, even a, a week and a half or so after the initial onset. And so we've spent the last eight, nine months now, whatever it is. <laughs> and the wisdom of men when it comes to all of this, the power of man when it comes to all of this, if that's, if that's your source, if that's your foundation, if that's what you're relying on and trusting in, you, you, then you should be afraid. You should be dealing with anxiety. You should be worried about what tomorrow holds. If that's the source of your confidence and, and your peace. And look how, <laughs> no offense to anyone, but look how foolish so much of man's wisdom seems to be. And we can definitely see how weak man's strength is. But God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom. And God's weakness is greater than man's strength. Again, as I close, 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God and they are foolish to him. I, I, I challenge you today and, and I believe that whatever our future holds wherever ultimately we are going in this nation the things that we're going to face in the future whatever those things may be there is going to be a natural wisdom, a natural ideology that is pushed. But then there is going to be the never-changing, forever-settled Word of God. And I think that the conflict between the natural man and the spiritual man, those that are living carnally minded versus those that are living spiritually minded. I, I have a feeling that the, uh, the disparity between those two is only going to get greater and greater. The difference between those that are living 
without retaining God in their knowledge, to whom God says, okay, you don't want me governing your life. You, you, you don't want my word guiding your life. You don't want my word as the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. So I'm going to give you what you want, but you really don't know what you're ultimately getting. The, the increase of that, the increase of, of the attitude of those that feel that way is, I think it's only going to get worse. And if you and I cannot come to terms with the fact to the natural man, the things of God are foolish. I, I, I'm born and raised in this. I was, I was, I, I don't know the exact number of days, but I think there's a good chance within the first week of my life, I was in my first service. I, I know within the first couple of weeks, at the very most, I was in my first service, my first apostolic service. And and uh, there's hardly been a week that's gone by in my 49 years of life where I wasn't in church several times throughout that week. I, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in this. I didn't have the experience some of you had of walking into your first apostolic service and your eyes bugging out because of how different and how crazy everybody was compared to what you would been used to all your life. I haven't had that. This is all normal to me. And even at that, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again today, and I probably will say it again in the future. Even at that, there are times, whether whether it's in my own personal prayer time, my own personal devotion, or or, or in a in a church service or some other kind of setting, where I am I am speaking in tongues, and as I am speaking in tongues, there is a part of my mind that's like. Really? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. Uh, I, 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 my, I didn't go to seminary. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't have a degree in theology. My, my degree is business management. It's not the, that's not necessarily the uh, most intellectual of degrees that are available, but it's, it, it's, it, it ranks up there. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I hear myself as I'm speaking in tongues and I'm like, you, you really think, I mean, you, you, come on, really, there's a God who is hearing and, and understanding and what you're saying really does. You can't understand what you're saying. You, you don't understand these syllables and maybe sure you're not actually just making them up, but even if you're not making them up, are they really real and true? That, that is foolishness to the natural mind. Why do I keep doing it? Why do I continue praying in tongues? Because I've, I've seen, I've experienced, I've, I've tasted. To all of those out there that say speaking in tongues is not for us, they, they've come too late. To all, to all of those that want to say God doesn't do miracles anymore, you've come too late. I've seen them, I've experienced them. But, but here's, here's the challenge. Here's my concern, and I'm trying to close. Here, here's my concern. Just because we've seen, just because we've entered the kingdom, again, it does not mean we are exempt 
from ever doubting and questioning again. It doesn't mean we are now exempt from, from the carnal mindset of this world that is an enemy of God. We are not exempt from that having some kind of influence in our lives and trying to creep its way back in. And so I, I, I need to be reminded on a regular basis. You need to be reminded on a regular basis. The natural man does not receive the things of God. To the natural man, the things of God are foolishness. The majority of you that work, work in a secular setting. There's only a handful of us that work at the church in full-time ministry. For all of you, you are immersed on a daily basis, surrounded by people who, for the most part, probably view your biblical beliefs and your biblical lifestyle as as foolish. Why would you do that? Why why would you give this up? Why would you why would you submit yourself to doing this? Why why would you live this way when when you can live however you want to live? Why would you do that? You know what? While we have a responsibility to try to reach the lost, the end of the day is we, we cannot make the natural mind understand. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because until you've tasted, until you've experienced for yourself, there's just no way to really understand and comprehend. But once you have tasted and seen, once you have been born again so that you have seen and entered the kingdom, it's now a completely different mindset that we are governed by. It's a completely different way of thinking. But again, it doesn't mean the enemy does not still try to undermine our faith and our confidence in God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time today. I thank you, God, for your presence that was manifested in this living room, this house, and I believe also was manifested in the homes of those that have been watching and listening. And so I pray again, God, that you would continue to give strength and peace and courage in the midst of all of the uncertainty and challenges. And I also pray today, God, that you would renew our minds, Lord. Lord, your word says that we are transformed, we are changed by the renewing of our minds. I pray that there would be a renewing of our minds today. I pray, God, for anyone that's watching, listening today, or may watch this in the future, who is, is being bombarded with the mindset of this world, that's, that's having their faith and confidence in you undermined by, by the carnal mind that is an enemy of you, God. I pray today, God, that you would, you would renew 
that you would restore our faith and our confidence, that you would remind us that as those who have been born again, we see differently. We have entered into something that others have not entered into. Therefore, they cannot comprehend. They cannot see. They cannot think. The same thing that is a stumbling block to the Jews, that is foolishness to the Greeks, the very same thing to those who have been called. It's something very precious. I pray, God, that as we continue in the days and weeks and months, perhaps years to come, as as the carnal mind continues to wage its war against the spiritual mind, as as the mindsets of this world continue to oppose, and perhaps even in a stronger, more uh, more more violent way, oppose the principles of your word, that you would let that resolve be strengthened in us. No matter what anybody else says, God, no matter what a carnal mind, a carnal man says, that our confidence and our faith in your word and your spirit would remain steadfast, be unshakable, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, let there be a renewing of our minds today. Let there be a renewing of our minds today. I come against every spirit of doubt, every spirit of unbelief that is warring against the minds of your people, God. I pray against every attack of the enemy and the circumstances of our lives, whether it's the things we're going through individually or the things that we're going through collectively right now, but every, every tool, every, everything the enemy is using to try to undermine our faith and confidence. Let there be a renewing of our faith today. Let there be a renewing of our confidence in you and in your word. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but your word is never going to pass away. Everything in this life may be unstable. Everything in this life may seem to be changing, but your word remains the same. You are the same, God, yesterday, today, and forever. And we trust in you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for sharing some time with us today. Look forward to seeing you in the near future.